glad that you're here in a moment. You'll need a pen or a pencil, or if you're using the uh, online new version of the notes, there's a few uh, fill-in-the-blanks. Um, before we do that, I've got one quick housekeeping item. Israel trip. Opened it up in December. We try to get a, <clears throat> as much of a head start as we can. The trip's not until September 2018. Um, but uh, uh, opened it up. Had the best initial sign-up I've ever had. Almost 50 people instantly uh, signed up, and that fills a bus. And we're actually a little past what, uh, what we want, and I need to get a few more now to make it work out for, um, for the ones that are past the 50. Uh, what I need are 15 more people who would want to go. So I'm just going to stir the pot a little bit this weekend and next weekend and see if I can't convince you to go. Let me give you two reasons why I think this is a great year to go. First, um, man, Israel's having a extenuated long time period of peace right now. And other than the fact that the U.S. has decided to move on a uh, law we passed many years ago, which is to recognize um, Jerusalem as the capital rather than Tel Aviv as the capital of Israel, uh, that's the only thing that's really going on. And quite honestly, if you looked at the newspaper, you might think, wow, it looks like it's tumultuous over there. There's absolutely nothing going on over there. Oh, and by the way, um, I, I've gotten tons of email like, hey, pastor, how should we feel about this? Where are we at? Here, always pay attention to this. Look who's upset about it being moved. And that, let that lead you in your, in your thought process right there. So now if you're like, you're still confused, like, man, I'm just not sure, hang around here for a while, and I'll, I'll convince you. I'll, I'll get you. And the best thing you do, go to Israel with me, man. You'd love it. You have the time of your life. It is the trip of a lifetime. And I'll do a demonstration. How many of you in this room have ever gone with me? Raise your hand uh, real quick. Yay or nay, it's the best trip in the world. Yay. Yay. It is worth going on. Love to take you on it. Um, 2019. 2019, they expect some trouble with Hezbollah because of Iran in 2019. Now, I don't know what will happen. I'm certainly not saying it like uh, uh, we're for sure not going to go in 2019. You never know what's going to happen. But the rumor is, from my guide and from some of the intelligence that I'm hearing out of Israel, is that 2019 could be a difficult year in Israel, which will hurt tourism. So if there were a time and you were thinking, hey, you know, now, then, which is the time to go? We're taking uh, one of our grandkids this year, um, our, uh, our children, uh, just, just different. Uh, thing. We, we feel it's a very safe year to be going, uh, our 14th trip, and um, can, can just recommend it wholeheartedly. So would, uh, would love to have you go. If you'd like more information, the easiest way to do that, online, uh, all the information is there, the cost, the itinerary, all that we do, when the exact trip is. It's August 30th through September, what is it, my love? 12th? Yeah, through the 12th, 13th, 13th, 12th. Uh, we're leaving in August, and we're coming back sometime in December. Great trip. So, uh, <laughs> no, uh, it, it's a 12-day trip. So, um, And then uh, uh, if you um, want to talk to somebody personally about it 
and find out how we lay it out. We don't require it all to be paid at one time. We do it uh, incrementally between now and uh, the summertime. My admin's name is Janet. If you call the church and were to ask for her, J-A-N-E-T, she has all the information. She's actually one on this side of it that, uh, that sets the trip up and uh, can help you with that. So if you have any desire to go, boy, take it as our invitation. We'd love for you to go to Israel with us. Truly a trip of, uh, of a lifetime. Okay, enough of that. Let's jump into this real quick. We're only in the second week of a new series that we just started, and we named it this really like uh, macabre title, To Die For. Like, where does that come from? Is it like that kind of a, you know, in-your-face message? I don't think uh, that's the idea. I think we chose it simply for this, that at the first of the year, Joanna even mentioned it, a lot of people are doing New Year's resolutions right now. Uh, There's just something inside of the human um, spirit that loves new beginnings, that loves do-overs, even if it's for the second hundred time in life. We love to start over again, man. There's an optimist in most of us that's willing to say, if I just had one more shot at it, I know I could get it right. I love that. I think there's a lot of good to that. But here's the three things right now that people are paying attention to in life. Number one, always, every year when it comes to a resolution is, tell me what it is. It's health, man. Uh, and, And it falls this way. People want to lose weight. They want to eat better. They want to get healthier. I mean, that's just simply it. Prove it out. Go to any gym right now. Any one of them. For those of you who work out regularly, the worst time to go to the gym is in January. Yes or no? You can't hardly touch a machine. Early in the morning, late at night, it doesn't matter. It's packed. And so what you just have to tell yourself is wait until February and you'll get the whole thing back. Right? That's all you have to do. Most people, Joanna said it, 21 days um, I think it takes 21 years, to be honest with you, to really get a one established in your life. So um, I, I, I just think um, in many ways uh, um, people do that spiritually this time of year, and that's the second one that people pay attention to. People get serious about their spiritual life usually this time of year. Uh, if you're raising children, a lot of people think, man, I, I want my children to, to know the Lord, and I want to make a... Uh, a concerted effort to make church a part of my life, or just personally, I'm not happy with where things are spiritually in my life. It's not going the right way. God, I, I want to do over. I want to start right. I want to make a fresh effort. Uh, just as a pastor, this is, uh, it's cliche, but it's true, and just about every pastor could tell you the same thing. Two times a year where we see automatic growth bumps without having to do anything uh, when school starts back up again, and uh, in January of every year, People, you can see, people get serious about their spiritual life. Let's combine those two things then, the physical and the spiritual real quick. You know what I don't want for you? I don't want for you to have a busy January with the Lord and an empty February. Amen. Man, just look at me. I mean, this is, I can't be any more serious right now. I want you to grow in 2018. I want you to know Jesus He wants to show you how much he loves you and how much he cares for you. And when we say things like God has a plan for your life, that's not a cliche. God wants to reveal that to you through relationship. And the investment that you make into that is so important. And congratulations for getting yourself up and for being here. Can I pat you on the back and tell you well done? Can I tell you that it pleases the Lord, man, that you're here today? God, God is, is it's, it's a pleasing thing for him. When Tom was singing about incense that rises from our life, it, it, the Bible uses language sometimes that's archaic and doesn't fit into the culture that we live in always. 
But the idea just simply is there, is that it's, it's a pleasing aroma to God when we worship Him with our lives. God notices, he, he recognizes, and He experiences pleasure from you. Do you know that? God gets pleasure from you. And when you make him number one or you, when you say, God, you're important to me and I want to make that effort, God is so pleasing to God. What I want to see happen for you in 2018 is not a fast start for January, but man, I want to see you run a race for 2018 that's worthy of your time. God. And that you end up, when we get into 2019, saying, man, that was a really good year for me spiritually. The third thing <clears throat> that this time of year uh, people get serious about, first one is physical, uh, the second one generally is spiritual, the third one usually is financial. A lot of people tend to look at their financials this time of year and just say, hey, i, I got to get this together. I've had this debt for too long, or I've, I've, I've made this mistake in my life, or I'm living beyond my means, whatever it is, what, whatever. And uh, I, I guess, man, the whole series, the whole idea of to die for, so many people this time of year start to consider it, what's really important? What do I really want to spend my time on? What needs to get fixed? What, what, what am I not going to live with and live like for the rest of my life, what do I want to see changed? So I just took it and put it into three words to die for. How do you really know what's essential? How do you boil it all down? How do you figure that out? There's a lot of things that pull at us that try to tell us all the time, this is really important, do this, stop that, begin this. I mean, so many things. How can you really boil it down essentially? What's important? And so I took that. I took also the light that, man, we turned 20 this year and I'm combining a different thing, and I, I just started teaching last week on, you know, as pastor, and if you can see me as your pastor, there's one thing I've tried to do that's been the essential here, and I, I phrased it this way last weekend, uh, it, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing, and in my mind, the main thing is Jesus, and if that's what we can focus on, look, we have an eclectic church, somebody one time, uh, a priest actually pointed this out to me, true, true story, a priest told me, you have the second biggest Catholic church in all of Highlands Ranch. <laughs> second biggest Catholic church in all of Highlands Ranch. That's pretty good, man. Especially when you're not trying. I mean, that's a, you know, it's kind of like a... So it's eclectic. I know that we have people that are, are very unskilled when it comes to no church background. Some that are skilled in high church. You, you've grown up in all sorts of different things. Some of you that have come out of a Pentecostal or a charismatic background. <laughs> Huh. You just gave it away. Nobody would have ever known in a million years that you come out of a Pentecostal background. Nobody would have known. Bro, you gave, you just laid all your cards on the table right there. Most people thought you were Episcopalian, bro. That's what, uh, <laughs> man, we have fun here. We have some fun here. All right. <laughs> Here's what I've noticed when it comes to essentials. Um, you know, 20, goes, 20 years ago when we started the church, I was 34 years old. And life is way different between 34 and 54. Anybody agree with that? Anybody that's up there, I mean, it's just different. Some of you are like, I'm not that old, so I don't have to raise my hand. Good for you, but you'll be there. So remember, <laughs> just remember. And remember how good I look at 54. Check out my kicks, man. Look at me. So, uh, yeah, I just thought I'd throw that out to you. Uh, what I've realized about essentials you know, in my mid-30s, I think I could have had, you know, all my, I, both hands would have been full of essentials. So I, these are funny things. Like, like we first started the church, I came out of a denomination too, 
And uh, it was really important that, that I wore a tie every time I spoke. Have I come a long way or what? <laughs> Had to wear a tie. That was an essential. If you didn't wear a tie, man, you're, you're, just, you're just being disrespectful. Um, we had to have these banners. I created these banners for those who remember the storefront. I had to have these banners up, and every time we worshiped, we didn't have these banners up. I felt like, man, we're not really saying who we are. That was an essential to me. I was willing to die over the banners. I'd fight over the banners. Um, I, I wrote, what was, a 45-minute worship. If worship didn't go at least 45 minutes, it didn't matter if God was moving or not. I didn't care. But if it didn't go 45 minutes, something was wrong. And it was just, there were just so many, have you ever noticed when you're younger, you have so many essentials? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So now, I think the benefit of getting older is you finally just realize most of that stuff's not essential. It's just really not that important. It's just really not, man. It's really not. You know, if you just have to be right all the time, you know, you're, you're dead right. You kill everybody, but you're right. Nobody wants to be around you, but you're right. I really think in my life I've boiled it down to just the essential that um, Jesus is the thing I can't compromise on. It's everything else we can talk about and everything else we can debate and everything else, everybody's got opinions. We could be raised the exact same way with the exact same experience and still have two different opinions. And that's okay. But when it comes to the truth of Jesus, that's the one thing that as pastor, man, I just can't. There's no compromise for me in that one right there. He's the way, the truth, and the life, and there's no other way except Jesus. Now, you can believe what you want to, but I can't compromise that. That's my essential. So today we're going to talk a little bit about truth. And can I just make this statement? Um, I realize that some of you are here, especially like if you are trying to get it together spiritually, and maybe, maybe you just chose this church because it was convenient to you or a friend told you about it. So let me, let me just make a statement, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart. You may not believe what we believe, and I want you to know you're welcome here. I want you to know we're not going to pick at you. I want you to know no one's going to expose you. I want you to know you can sit here as long as you want to trying to decide if you believe it or not. If that were to take you years, then I just want you to know I want you to be comfortable here. I hope that it doesn't. I also want you to know it's okay to be here and not be all right. Did you just hear what I said? It's okay to be here and not have it all together. It's okay to be here and be messed up. And it's okay to be here and be anonymous. God loves you enough that he doesn't want to leave you that way. But I get you could be here this morning and not agree with me. And that's okay, man. It really is okay. But I want to talk as the pastor and the leader a little bit about what Jesus described as truth. And then man's response to Jesus' truth. And then this is really the thing I want to leave you. Why is truth important to us? What difference does it really make? Because we live in a world where everybody has their truth. And what most people say, as long as your truth doesn't infringe on my truth, go ahead. But the problem is, not everybody can be right. i say it one more time. Not everybody can be right. So um, just a few scriptures to start out with. Jesus actually had a lot to say about truth. And you could go through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and it even quotes by some of the disciples who wrote later books about Jesus speaking on truth. But Jesus himself... In the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John said a lot about truth. Now, I'm not going to use every scripture, but there were three that were just really, they were penetrating in my heart when I studied over the last two weeks. So I'm going to read them to you, and then I'm going to read Pontius Pilate. Pontius was the governor uh, in Israel. Pontius, if you remember, his role in the crucifixion is that the Jews didn't have the power to kill Jesus because they were under the boot of Rome. And the high priest 
as much as he wanted to get rid of Jesus, still had to have the permission of the Roman government to do it. So they brought him to Rome, accused him of being an insurrectionist, starting a, a, a revolt and a revolution, which is the one thing Rome did not want. And Pilate judged Jesus and said he's an innocent man, but you remember, man, they just would not hear of it. And Pilate had this interesting interaction with Jesus, and I'll read it to you. But uh, these are just some quotes by Jesus about truth. Uh, this is from John 8. 32, Jesus is talking while he's teaching, and he just makes this statement. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you what? Free. So truth is a doorway to freedom. So we live at a time and an age where people confuse freedom with license. Let me explain. Freedom is not the ability to do what you want. Listen to me very carefully. Because I'm going to say the exact opposite of what you hear every day on the news. Freedom is not the ability to do what you want, when you want, how you want, regardless of what anybody thinks. That's not biblical freedom. Freedom is the absence of bondage in your life. You're not free if you have bondage. Jesus came to set you free so you had no bondage in your life. License. In America, we're given license to say whatever we want to when we want to. Even that has limits. We confuse freedom with license all day long. Freedom is the absence of bondage. So when Jesus is teaching about freedom, he's teaching about a freedom that frees your mind, it frees your body, it frees your soul. It's the way to live life. Jesus said, I came to bring life and not just any life, but a life that's worth having. So we could say this, Jesus came to bring us a life that we're free. The Bible says it was for freedom that he set us free. Uh, in John 14, 6, John 14 is one of those uh, chapters where Jesus is just talking a lot about freedom. But in this particular uh, summation, man, he, he, if you want to know how Jesus felt about everybody else's truth, Jesus sums up this because he's God. He sums up this truth right here. The, these are bold words. Uh, he's asked a question about paths to God and how to get there and salvation and he just answers it directly. Uh, Jesus tells the person asking the question, look at this, I am the way and I am the? I'm not a form of truth, a path to truth, a nice guy, a prophet, uh, someone who, who understands truth. I'm truth and I'm life. And then this one right here. If he just stopped right there, it's a, it's a dude, that's a big enchilada. <laughs> Honestly, that is a big bite right there. But he doesn't. He adds this on, and no one can come to the Father except they come through me. Amen. He goes on to say after that, anybody that tries to go any other way is a thief. Mm. That's a powerful statement right there. Agree or disagree, Jesus isn't holding back. You have to agree with that. He is being direct, and he is being honest, and he is telling, hey, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life, and no one makes it to the Father without coming through me. In uh, John chapter 18, you know, John, so much of John is Jesus talking about truth. Uh, John 18, um, he's before Pilate, remember, and uh, after he's been arrested and after he's been abused and uh, kept up all night and, and, and tormented, uh, he's brought to Pilate. Pilate said to Jesus, so you are a king. Jesus responded, you say I am a king. Actually, 
I was born and came into the world to testify to the what? Here it goes again. And then he says this. Look at this. All who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. Don't go to the next part yet, man. Those are big words right there. Jesus isn't talking to some merchant on the street selling, uh, you know, some clay pot. Jesus is talking to the man who holds his life in his hand at this moment. And the man is like, uh, hey, are you, a, are you really the one that they say that's trying to stir your... Because there can only be one king. Here's what he's really saying. There can only be one king, only one Caesar. And if you're going to claim to be him, i got to kill you right now. So Jesus just answers him, uh, you say that I'm a king. I didn't say that. Actually, I was born and I came into the world to testify to the truth. And all who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. And then Pilate probably re uh, represents what I think is, is the answer that the world gives, not 2,000 years ago, but today uh, too. So flip over to that next part for me. Pilate just simply says this, what is truth? And would you agree with me? We live in a day today where people ask that question. What is truth? Maybe that's your truth. Or maybe that's their truth. What is truth? And then he went out again to the people and told them he is not guilty of any crime, but of course they wouldn't have it. And he ends up releasing Barabbas and holding Jesus and you know the rest of the story. I think that those two conversations just simply represent, man, probably not the battle, but just the philosophical differences of heaven and earth. God reaching out to man saying, here's the truth. And man having gone his own way, looking back at God going, what is the truth? Maybe the worst thing that the devil did to mankind was to confuse them on truth. Because without it, you can't be free. And a person without freedom, man, is in bondage. And bondage is such a wicked thing. All right, so... If you have a pen or pencil, I'll just do this fast. Let's talk about a working understanding of the truth. And really, uh, maybe, um, maybe here's what I'd want you to get today. Why does this matter? Why do you need this? What do, hey, <clears throat> if I don't teach this message, what difference will it make in your life? Will you walk out of here the same as you walked in? If I do teach it, will you walk out of here different than you walked in? Why is this important? The average person would have trouble answering that question. Because that's the kind of day we live in, man. Why is truth important? What difference does it make? All right, so I'm going to try to teach on that real quick. Um, so let's just, we'll, we'll hit it. Hit one, uh, why, why do we need the truth? What, what difference does it make? Well, let me just give you a working understanding of how truth works. Okay, uh, The effect is rarely immediate. So let me try to explain this to you. Um, we, we can use two words here. The effect of truth is rarely immediate, and the effect of deception is rarely immediate. Did you follow what I said right there? This is important. It's sort of like that class that you took, maybe a first-year math class. Uh, maybe it was geometry, and when they began to talk about how, how lines work and the, the mathematics behind lines, and simply... Uh, two lines running parallel to each other headed to the same direction, man, can do that forever. But if one varies at all in its degree, you don't notice it at first, but after a period of time, they're way apart from each other, yes or no? 
Okay, here's the thing when it comes to deception or truth. When I immediately tell you the truth or I lie to you, it doesn't affect you. Boom. Whatever you believe, though, begins your life on a path that leads you someplace. And if you believe the truth, you're headed in a direction of freedom. And if you believe deception, you're headed in a place of bondage. And by the time you recognize it, you're so far down the path, you can't ask yourself, what happened to me two days ago that caused this to happen? In some cases, it was a lie you believed or truth you believed 20 years ago. Does that make sense? So uh, let me try to quantify it and help you to to understand. Let me illustrate it a little bit. Um, So uh, uh, because the effect is rarely immediate and it's seen in the fruit of a decision over a long period of time, Jesus taught it this way. This, this This is brilliant. Jesus, the brilliant uh, statistician, the brilliant illustrator, Jesus, the brilliant teacher. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. They're like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rains come in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. Yes or no, you could substitute the word truth for bedrock. Amen. Amen. Okay, so let's go on. But anyone who hears my words, my teaching, and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. They both built houses, they both moved into the houses, and they probably both enjoyed their houses for some level of time. If you'd have looked at them at some space in time, you'd have said it wouldn't have mattered. You'd have said it. they both went separate ways, and they both built nice houses, and they're both doing fine. But here's the problem. In life, you have storms. And just because you serve God doesn't keep it from happening. And just because you don't believe in God doesn't keep it from happening. Storms happen to everybody. Anybody in this room ever been through a storm? A storm of health? A storm of finances? A storm of relationships? A storm of betrayal? A storm of a job? Looking at California this last week, man, people with more money than all of us put together in this room went through storms and all of their money couldn't stop what happened in those storms, yes or no? Oprah Winfrey is out mucking. Did you see that one? Oprah up to her knees in mud showing what happened to her house. Oprah, like in in Forbes 500, God is first with money and then Oprah is second, right below God. (laughs) Now I'm having fun. Come on, I'm I'm teasing. I'm teasing. Don't email, don't get upset. I'm teasing. We all know Oprah has more money than... No, here, here. So I'm teasing. I'm teasing. Come on. Uh, my point simply... Hey, come on. Have fun. My point simply is this. Listen. All the money in the world doesn't stop a storm. You cannot protect yourself from it. You cannot. And your decision early on in what you do when that day comes matters later on. So Jesus teaches us really, when the rains and the floods come and the winds beat against that house, the guy that was foolish and built it on a sand, it will collapse and it'll do it with a mighty crash. And that person can't say, what did I do two weeks ago that caused this? It was all the way back to when you heard truth or you heard deception and how you decided to build your life. That's what he's, he's not teaching about building a house. He's teaching about your life is the house. Your marriage is the house. 
the lie you believe or the truth you believe in your marriage early on uh, is what it looks like 20 years down the road if you make it that far. So a lie I believed early on in my marriage, right after the honeymoon was over, you know, one or two days, whenever it was over with, right? God, I'm a funny guy, and you guys act like you just, <laughs> like, <clears throat> I really am. Sir, we don't know each other, but I'm one of the funniest people you'll ever meet in your life. I just want you to know that, man. And if you don't have a good time or anybody else, I always have a good time while I'm up there. I go home happy with myself, and that's an important, sorry. So, I believed, here was the lie that I believed early on in our marriage. I believed that, that when it started going wrong, I believed that she was my enemy. I, didn't, I never vocalized you're the enemy, but that's what I thought. She's my enemy. She's my problem. And so I spent all of my energy and my effort and my fighting trying to change my enemy. And it was not until the Lord said to me, you are fighting the wrong enemy and he's done a, he has done such a superior job in getting you to not even recognize who your real enemy is. That's how good the devil is. You don't even recognize who the enemy is. And when I learned to turn my energy to fight the devil, and here's the proof of it. The very first thing that happened to Adam and Eve when the devil was allowed to get into their marriage brought division, yes or no? And he's not original, he's not new, he does the same thing in marriage today. If you have division in your marriage, look at me, division in your marriage, it's not the proof that you have the worst person in the world. It's the proof that you have a powerful enemy. Because the devil steals, kills, and destroys. That's his job. And when we're not on guard for it, dude, when you don't know a thief is stealing from you, they steal from you blind. And when we got that right, where we began to fight the right enemy, it was amazing how it changed. This year, we'll celebrate 35 years. Can I just say that never happens accidentally? It never happens accidentally. 35, 35 good years. Well, 33 good years and two, two difficult years. All right. All right. So, so the effect, Jesus teaches, so build it on the rock, which is truth, or build it on sand, which is deception. But either way, both people are going to, at some point in their life, have storms come. And the storms are going to have, uh, these three things will happen with a storm. Okay, so the, these three things Jesus talks about. The first one just simply is this. Uh, from the time you hear truth or deception, there's just a certain length of time until you find out what's going to happen. In some ways, that's God's grace. Aren't you glad that like you, know, like you hear something and it's, aren't you glad God gives us time? Time's awesome, but time does reveal. It does reveal. So the second thing in that story that's just true for both is that um, what God was really wanting is obedience. God's not asking you for success. He's asking you for obedience. We think success and God thinks obedience because Jesus said the one who listened. The smart one is the one who heard and obeyed. That's what he said. Obedience. And then the third one just simply is the whole storm issue is that uh, it, this is just a universal truth like gravity. Right? You could be an atheist, but gravity works. And, and you could be a believer, charismatic Pentecostal, front row, amener. But if you fall off this platform, doesn't matter how loud you shout, you're going to splat. You're going to shout real loud, like, oh, yeah. So it is, the bottom line is that there are certain universal principles that, that our belief, it's beyond that. God said, it, this is what storms happen. And the survivability of a storm then is based on truth. 
It is, it is pretty good, Rob. It really is. It, but it's because those two things make all the difference in the world and how you weather those things, how you come out of those things, what happens. The second one, I, 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 little becomes big. Little simply becomes big. Jesus taught these words. This is Matthew. Um, here's another illustration Jesus used. Jesus, the brilliant, brilliant illustrator. Man, how I admire Jesus. Here's another illustration Jesus used. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. You've probably heard this. It's like a mustard seed planted in a field. Hey, before we go any further. No, before we go any further. Back up. Yeah, there we go. Okay, here's how I... Just tell me real quickly. What, what, what's the thing about the mustard seed? What is it? It's tiny. Of course, you've heard this a million times. Okay, so another illustration. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed planted in a field. Now go... Uh, it's the smallest of all seeds, but it becomes the largest of garden plants. It grows into an actual tree. It grows feet per year, uh, and birds come and make nests in its branches. And so Jesus is simply, Jesus is not talking about growing plants. That's not the point. He's talking about little things become big things in short amount of times. And that could be good or bad. And that depends on, again, it's truth versus deception. And so little becomes big. And what seems, listen, can I just say this? Are you with me? Are you with me? Are you with me? Who's with me? I am. Come on, be with me. What seems insignificant can become the dominant force in your life later on. Can I talk for a moment? That pill you took five years ago that seemed so insignificant can very much become the dominant force of your life later on. And you can love Jesus the whole time. That thing that you think you control, at some point, man, it can run a little faster than you and it switches. And now it has hold to you. Um, unforgiveness can seem so insignificant initially and then in 15 or 20 years it can be the dominant conversation in the way you live your life because you're so full of bitterness does that happen? small decisions you make about money today have huge impact in 10 and 15 years you okay? My name's John. I'm your pastor. I love you. I'm here to help you. God is my witness. I'm not here to hurt you. I'm here to help you. Jesus came to set you free, and he wants to set you free. Uh, Dan DeMay, Todd Story, and DJ Smith, three pastors on my staff. I've watched. These are all men I've had a relationship with for the minimum is 20 years, and some of them for 26, 27 years. Um, I've watched all of them. Uh, when we tried to start the church, man, Todd taught school. Dan worked at the Great Indoors. DJ worked um, for a nonprofit downtown. Um, the, the bottom line is they made nothing. But, man, they applied small principles at the time, like staying out of debt, saving a little bit, and living below your means. And now, all these years later, I, I'm watching what God is doing in their life, and it's just the most amazing thing. Because they don't make a lot of money now. But man, the principles they applied, the truth that they applied has made such a tremendous difference in their life. And so we're having this conversation last night and I'm looking at it and some of the things they did, I didn't do. And now I'm saying to myself, why didn't I do that? And don't you wish you could flip a switch and change it that quick? Yes. Just be honest with me. Don't you wish life, you know that commercial? 
change it to get a new phone carrier. You just flip the switch. Don't you wish you could do that with every mistake in life? Flip. Flip. Didn't save enough. Flip. There it is. Wouldn't it be nice if you could do that? That seems to go over just like this. So I'm going to get off of it real quick and just here it is. Look, man, the truth you believe directs your life. It directs your marriage, your money, your behavior, your work, your happiness. The lie you believe directs. So you, you want to define? Here, here's the litmus test. I can just, you, you want to define where the lies are in life and where the truth is in life. And this is why it takes a little bit of time. So if you've had a little bit of time, to work some things out, here's the two questions you can ask. Where is it working in your life? Because that's where you believe truth. And where is it stagnant, stale, and not producing? Because somewhere in there is a lie. Somewhere in there is a lie. And, and God is merciful. And God, man, it's never too late. Look, let, let me just show you how I can prove to you it's not too late. Do this one thing with me. Do it. You're breathing. When they put you under, it's too late. You can't change anything. But now, you can hear my words and you can still change. You can change. Just give you the last one and I'm done. Talk about living in the truth real quick. This is an Old Testament scripture. I wrote it in because years and years ago I read this and I thought... That's a prophetic scripture. Some of Isaiah's prophetic scripture that's already been fulfilled. Like uh, Isaiah, Isaiah predicted what Jesus would look like. Literally predicted what he would look like 800 years before he walked on the earth. He predicted how he would die. I mean, to be that accurate, prophecy is a powerful thing. But some of the book of Isaiah is prophecy yet to be fulfilled. And so Isaiah wrote this about a future time. And I think maybe it might be the time we're beginning to live in. And this is what he says. Justice is driven back. Righteousness stands at a distance, and truth has stumbled in the streets. Honesty has trouble entering in. And it also goes on to say this. Woe to you who call good evil, evil good, who put a lie for the truth and a truth for the lie. Does it seem to you like we might live in that day in the world today? It just seems like whatever. So I just want to talk to you about living the truth out for just a second. Just how do you do that? How do you... How do, all right, so I think, I think believers, man, got some bad um, teaching in the last 25 years. And part of that teaching uh, was, was simply, you know, um, we're to be this force in the earth. We're, we're to, you know, harness our political might together. Basically, uh, truth is presented in two ways in believers' minds. And I think the wrong way that it's presented, when, when, when believers decide to make a declaration... We are truth. We know truth. There is no other truth. And if you don't believe it, you're going to hell. And we're just, we deck. Dude, no one wants to join that. Truth is an invitation, not a declaration. If the church would just live out the truth we say we believe, how you live preaches much louder than what you say. You know that's true. We all know that's true. How I live out of this pulpit means far more than what I stand up here and say in front of you. My credibility's gone if I don't believe this. It's just words. The power's in the living it. It's the invitation. It's the first martyrs of the church. 
I might talk about this a little bit next week, and I don't want it to be a heavy-duty thing this way, but man, if you've ever studied any of the martyrs of the church, the church's growth initially in the first century grew out of the blood of the martyrs. There were some, some Caesars who absolutely... Man, like Hitler blamed the Jews for all the ill in the world, the Caesars blamed Christians and did horrible things to them. And there's a story, the Fox's Book of Martyrs, Powerful, powerful book if you ever want to read something. But there's a story of a young lady who, um, she became a believer. They gave her a chance to renounce it and to, uh, to stop. They took her baby away from her. They did everything that they could to stop it. And they led her into the Colosseum, and she's going to be torn apart by wild beasts. And they thought, uh, man, she'll, she'll recount. And she wouldn't. And the worst thing that you could do was to die a death where all of a sudden you began to scream, no, no, no. Because all of a sudden, to them, it meant you didn't really believe what you said you believed. And this young lady in her early 20s began to sing a psalm to God as the animals came at her. And they said the entire time she worshipped and she prayed while these things tore her to pieces. And that's a horrible way to die. But the power in that story is not that. The power is in this. That the people in the arena that watched her were bloodthirsty, hung. They loved it. They were violent people. Instead of standing up and cheering, they all sat there and couldn't believe what they were hearing. And the testimony is that it was dead silent in the arena. And that afterwards, the number of converts to Christianity, because they said to themselves, is that this girl's willing to do this, there must be something more to this than we know. And they began to ask questions. Christianity spread and grew in the fertilizer of the blood of the martyrs who were willing to live out and not just simply demand. That's truth. It's an invitation. It's an invitation to join me that I never have to even give you the invitation. I live it out, and if it's true... It's an attractive thing that people want to know about. Not everybody, but many. And what do you do? Because I know I get to the end of it. I realize, man, um, so I, I realize I can be a forceful person when I teach. In 2018, I, I decided to be more bold this year than any other year. It's my 20th year. I'm going to be bold. So I want to see lives changed, man. I want to see people set free. I don't want you to walk in with bondage and leave out after hearing that God can set you free and not be set free. It was for freedom that Jesus set you free. How awesome is that? He wants you free, man. Father, I just want to um, cooperate with the Holy Spirit so that you could facilitate truth right now folks before you let your mind wander and um, and maybe you've already shut me down but could I just get you to just real quick listen to this right here probably two 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 types of listeners in this audience right now those who believe and so this message is like a challenge okay 2018 man I want to live in the freedom that God has for me. I want to embrace truth. Uh, if there was ever a time to, 
to have a resolution happen in my life, it's right now. I mean, some of you are like, that's me, pastor, I'm there. Man, I applaud you. I want to caution you, though, because you can't run out of here and do this in your own strength. You need the Holy Spirit to help you. Religion is a thing that people can do on their own, but relationship takes two. And Jesus wants you in relationship with him. He has to be able to put his power in you to do these things. And so just realize, even if you get stirred up today, man, it's to say to God, do this in me and help me receive this and teach me and show me. And God, I'm yours. I'm pliable. Uh, I think the second listener in here today might be those who just simply have trouble with what is truth. And maybe you would just simply say, hey, John, good for you. You found your truth, but that's not my truth. I just want you to know God doesn't hate you. He's not mad at you. God's the one who's given you the right to choose. But before you just simply turn it off, tune it out, and just simply say, man, that can't be my truth, would you at least just be willing to do this? Would you just be open to say, God, would you reveal truth to me? If you are real, and if you do have truth, and if it is for the world, would you reveal it to me and would you show it to me? And would you pray that sincerely? Just pray that sincerely. It is okay for you to bring doubt to God. It is okay for you to bring unbelief and say, I just don't get it. I don't know if I could believe that. But can you say... God, if there is truth, would you reveal it to me and show it to me? Reveal yourself to me. I just believe, man, that's an honorable prayer and a prayer that God longs to answer. And I would just ask, whatever place you find yourself in, that you would just find yourself as you go through these months, man, that God would draw you closer to himself. You would find yourself drawing God closer to you. I pray for freedom over your life. I pray for joy. I pray for houses that will stand in storms. Lives that won't collapse. Hearts that will be strong in days that it seems so hard to do that. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, always, thank you for listening to me.